Greetings, friends! Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my taxidermied bird in wait, uh, motel owner and super creep, and co host, Alex Dandino. <laughs> Did that cover it? Yeah, that's I the mean, full that, spectrum. Yeah, that's that's okay. the that's the gamut, I think. Yeah, that that essentially sums it up. All right, <laughs> all right, guys. As you remember, this month the pod is a madman. <laughs> That's our first half. So we're doing five movies uh, that place us, the audience, in the POV of a madman. Today we will be talking about the uh, Alfred Hitchcock classic, Psycho. Um, as always, guys, if you like the show, and we hope you do, if you're here with us, please take a second and leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcast app. That helps us out enormously. You can find us on all social medias where you guys are at. Uh, we want to hear from you. We want to talk to you. Filmalchemistpod at gmail.com if you care to email us. Anything, guys. If you have lists you want, uh, uh, movies you want covered, themes, double features, stuff that's video on demand and you're just watching because we're all stuck inside, whatever you want, uh, hit us up, guys. We're we're always ready for those uh, calls, and we'll try to get to them as best we can. Also, you can now see our faces along with hear our voices on our YouTube channel, Nerd Alchemist. That's plural with an S at the end. All right, Alex, that's all the business. Uh, business done. Talk to me, Alex. When was the last time you'd watched the? I'm just going to assume you had seen Psycho. The ground. The, we're doing the Gus Van Zant one, obviously, because it slaps the most. <laughs> I just kidding. All right. (laughs) So, Alex, when is the last time you had watched Psycho before this viewing? Uh, college. Maybe no. Um, after no, it was probably like three or four years ago. Actually, I just watched it on like a whim. It's just one of those things that pops up over like like every other six months. uh, They do like all of the Hitchcock movies on some streaming platform. I think I was just like, oh man, I haven't seen Psycho in a long time. So I watched Psycho. Yeah, man, I I went on a Hitchcock bender for a long time, and I still check in from time to time. But I was struck by Psycho's not the one that I go back and revisit very often. No, and rewatching it today, I always I feel like I always undersell this movie, right? Because it truly is maybe the most Hitchcockian film that he ever made. If that makes sense, because almost the entire narrative works as a red herring. Right? Yeah. And I think that part of it works so well to just drop the fucking hammer on an audience. And I was doing a lot of reading today, and I think it's impossible for audiences in today's world to take ourselves back to when this movie came out and imagine how it affected audiences of that day. Because we're all so used to and so desensitized to these kinds of stories and these characters. Um, And it's so funny how I watched it today and I was just stunned. Yeah. And how masterfully laid out this movie is. It's um I, I, I don't know. I, I'm I was shocked because again, it's never the one I go back to. It might be I mean, the sixth or seventh Hitchcock movie I think of, and that's a cry in shame. You know, it's uh, the birds is always the first one I go watch just because I fucking think I think the birds was just bananas. <laughs> um in a good way. Like it's one of those things that I really enjoy watching. But um, I, I will be on Front Street. That is probably my least favorite Hitchcock movie. I don't I, know why. I just it should be perfectly up my alley. <laughs> well, no, I mean, like you, you it's it's fucking bonkers. Like you really have to well, commit it's crazy. To- I, I just never have gotten over the fact you're like, I feel like I could beat up birds. 
Yeah, I mean, like, again, like unless you're talking like talons, like Matt, Napoleon Dynamite, right? Do they have like razor talons? Well, no. Without but, like, that, you're like, how many birds would it take? Like, how many pigeons would it take to take me or you down? We're pretty hefty guys. Well, I, I mean, I don't think that's what that's about. But in <laughs> that's any not sense, the space you're in. <laughs> um, I mean, to me, like, I think the thing that's always interesting to me is like, Psycho is such a fascinating example of a movie that is actually like to its core like really simple like not a lot happens in this movie like it's not like the intrigue is not very like particularly complicated like comparatively to other movies he made at the time hitchcock this is pretty straightforward like other than the big reveal at the end everything else is very matter of fact and also you can pretty much figure out i don't know midway through exactly what's happening but it's still very 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 taut and it's very fun to watch because all the performances are great and also for the time i mean janet like the the big thing was janet lee was a fucking huge movie star and for the time the fact that they killed her 30 minutes into the movie is fucking i know that blew people's minds but this is what i mean though right like maybe it's i mean from dusk till dawn does this too but it's like there are very few movies that just at the start of the second act say Welcome to a whole new movie, bitch. They literally show Norman Bates throwing away the inciting incident of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Like he just throws that shit. Like if Indiana Jones just found the, uh, you know, the Ark and was like, fuck this and threw it off the Titanic. That's like what this is. It's insane. And this is the thing. I think, again, I think it's really hard for us now to go back and just put ourselves in that mindset of remember the first time. You had seen this. And even right. before the first time I saw it, my mom talked about this movie. It was like one of those scarring movies for like, you know, our parents' generation. Yeah. And even older, but they were they grew up on those movies, right? Yeah. And so you even then kind of knew. And it's it's just fascinating. I, I go back and I was trying to rewatch it with as clear of eyes as I could, right? And the, the first time you see the Bates Motel sign. And that first time when Norman comes in, I think Anthony Perkins' performance is so subtle and it's amazing because again it's so hard now because we're like you watch it and you you see these little small mannerisms you're like oh god because he's a psycho but imagine the first time watching that right and not realizing what you are about i mean this again was before we had a really clear terminology for serial killers right i know we had talked about this on the last show that psycho gets knocked for the ending just laying out the story but we forget there's a time when this was not There's a time where this wasn't like th- like think <laughs> about all the fucking shows. Look, I, I work at a I work at a documentary company. Like I don't know, three quarters of our slate is literally about like <laughs> murderers, cults, and psychotic people who do murders. Like yeah. that's like there was a time where we didn't have this mass consumption of like murder porn. So mm-hmm. not everyone knew every single facet of psychology. Like not everyone was some fucking armchair psychologist like, ah, uh, yes, of course. Now right. I know what's happening. Like <laughs> that's the best part about like to me, that's what makes this movie authentically 60s. Because look, even if you go back and pretend like you hadn't seen it before, like to me, the reason this movie is great and the reason it's probably one of his best films is simply because it's still powerful no matter when you watch it. Like, oh yeah, I, I watch it. I watched it when I was a kid. I watched it when I was in college. I watched it a couple of years ago. I watched it again now, and it still is like the tension is still there, man. But yeah, that ending is to me like what makes it such an authentic movie for the time because no one fucking knew anything about this. Like, imagine 
that was like my always whenever I saw that ending to me, I was like, imagine being Hitchcock or like uh, who wrote, who wrote uh, Robert Block wrote the book. But imagine being like Robert Block or Joe, De- Joe Stefano, like people who are writing this movie and sitting there and thinking to themselves, like, how do I explain someone who kills their mother and like, oh, by the way, <laughs> fucking spoiler alert. Um, yeah. <laughs> kills their mother and then like assumes her identity. How do I explain that to an audience yeah. without it being just like a bunch of like jargon? Like that to well, me is like the best part. had to say he's not a transvestite or pervert. Right. right? Yeah, They're exactly. Like, let's, let's not be gross about it. He's just a serial woman murderer. <laughs> 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 it was so funny. But I was like, and it was, it's, it's fascinating. I know it gets ripped on a lot for that. Yeah. The other thing I think this movie takes some heat for, right, is I, I think there are some knocks that, you know, the opening is a little too dry, right? Um, so I was watching this time. I actually found it really interesting, man. There's a there's a lot of – first off, the, once the score starts and it has those kind of frantic credits, I'm, I, it's like you said, my heart was already racing watching. Oh, yeah. It just puts you right back in that, like, Oh my god, everything's uncomfortable and it's coming and piecing together. It's the uh, be- it was just it's strange, the best. Man. I mean, it's an incredible again, like this is this movie, I think Psycho might be the one of the greatest movies we've watched for this particular pod. This movie is film alchemy at its finest. Like yeah. every single piece of this movie comes together into this like just bubbling stew of awesomeness. And like yeah. from the jump, man, like those opening credits are perfect like that's the opening right. credit sequence you always you're like that's the credit sequence i wanted that's the first shot i wanted this is the main character i wanted oh my god like right. it's bananas man it's and amazing there are, there are so many techniques he's using too that sets us up like this is the one i think about today i was st- struck by I, was, I know hitchcock's the master of suspense and you know i've read all his books and whatever he this movie to me might be the most spot on as far as, you know, his techniques and how he rope-a-dopes us, right? Like, yeah. we literally start off with Janet Lee laying on the bed, almost like helpless prey, right? And just this kind of, like, guy with his cock right by her face. <laughs> hey, what's up? And right. you're just, you're already, like, and then, so we, but there's this series of, we see that, and then the old man leaning over her on her desk, a lot of close-ups of the men faces. Mm-hmm. So you see these men, like, oh, lording over her and oppressing and coming down upon her, right? So that when we get to Norman Bates, you're like, oh, look at this little this little uh, string bean, right? This little Ichabod Crane looking motherfucker. Right. And it, it just so disarms you, right? But the whole movie is setting you up with this amazing series of tricks, right? Yeah. There's so much little photography tricks that set us up. Uh, one of the things I like, too, is when she's driving and she starts hearing the voices, right, of what she assumes. Because this is the weird thing that happens in the movie that really hit me today was so she is essentially as I'm taking it as the audience imagining the conversation that's happening at home right right she thinks or maybe we're led to believe that that's what people are really saying but I think it's her kind of imagining the trouble she's in right right she sees her boss on the way out of town and she starts panicking right she stole 40k Mm -hmm. to try to buy off this giant fucking loser that she wants to marry, right? Some guy that we're led to believe gives great dick, but yeah, wow. wouldn't, 
that yeah. might be that that's got to be the best lay of all time worth 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 yeah. 40k that like not He's even great dick massively in debt already divorced once <laughs> not even the not even the best hookers do 40k for for the lay like that's yeah. an insane amount of dick i know it was a different era but in today's area imagine this guy with a uh, flat build hats tribal tattoos uh, you know, very heavy scented jewels. I was gonna say, I, I smell a lot of Axe body spray on this guy. Oh, like. so much Axe body spray! Right? But it, back then, he looks classy, right? This yeah. is kind of like masking of time. He, even douches back then wore suits, right? Right. right. <laughs> but so, so she makes this horrendous decision, right? And we all, it's, it's, that's another thing that kind of strikes you as, Jesus Christ, people were, you know, trusting back then. Oh yeah, here's here's forty k. Walk across the street to the bank. By the to way, tell Mark, this movie does not get made today because everyone in the very first twenty minutes is we go. Hang on, this bitch yeah. watch what's bitch like? It's I think with inflation it's worth like three hundred fifty grand. Like this bitch walked she out of said, town with three hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, like no, just, she's like I'm gonna go home because I'm sick. Her boss sees her in the car and is like, "Well, I best continue with my drinking. I won't stop into the bank that's clearly right here." <laughs> And just ask. No. Like he it, they were so quaint back then, they're like, We'll see if we just got robbed for forty K on Monday. Yeah. This th- this movie actually in this in, in the in the two th- in the two thousand twenty version of this movie, Arbogast is actually just a hitman out to kill Marion Crane. <laughs> like that's one thousand percent the truth. Oh man. But yeah, it's so it's strange though, because I I love the I love her imagining hearing what people are saying, right? She's kind yeah. of writing her own narrative. Mm-hmm. And it struck me this time too with that and the looming police officer. And he's never as threatening as she leads us to believe she is, right? As we no, watch no her one in the shot, he like, seems much more scary right. than I think he truly is in the film. Well, right? and I think this is like the best part. Like I as I was reading earlier, like this movie was the mainly shot on fifty millimeter and thirty five millimeter because it best mimics human vision so when you think about it there's nothing because when we're with marion crane that's marion crane's story like we don't get to norman osborne until later in the into like the middle of the first act norman bates not norman osborne (laughs) oh that's the other pod we don't get to norman bates before uh yeah we don't get to norman bates before like 30 minutes into the movie so marion crane is our person that we're with and we are fully locked into her mindset like she, we know she stole the money, so every single person, include mainly like she doesn't. By the way, she never meets like a woman. It's always dudes, and like that yeah. guy she like buys the car from's a creep. Like everyone is just creepy, and like if you think about it, were they creepy or were they just like? Is it from her? Is from Marion's perspective? Like everyone is trying to fucking get right? me. When the cop shows up and his face is so enormous on the screen, right? And his eyes are covered by sunglasses. He is just the enormous face of menace. Yeah. Right? And we are sitting there with an, as an audience saying, I don't think he's harassing her that much. No. He knows something's wrong. This is pro- this. There were two things that really dawned on me in this viewing is, one, I don't know that we've ever known more information about the first girl in yeah. a, a serial killer or a horror movie, right? Right. We are so... <laughs> fucking fully brought into her and also this this kind of trickery that hitchcock does in this one is done from a different angle than a lot of other hitchcock movies right right a lot of other hitchcock movies to me right are about what we don't know right like even rear window we know what we think happened over there 
but they're really good about never letting us know. This is probably the one Hitchcock movie right off the top of my head where I was like, Hitchcock's trick in this one is to create suspense when we know every single fucking thing. Right. Short of the reveal at the end, right? But you know everything. 30 minutes into this movie, we know exactly what has happened here. Right. And then we start investigating. But this is what struck me is how much we get to know her, right? And he does a good job. This is kind of one of his cruelest tricks of the movie is he sets her up, right? Oh, she's tarnished. She likes this fucking loser. She's willing to throw her whole life away on this fucking massive loser of a man. And it won't work. And we know it won't work, right? Because, again, we have all the God information. This guy is a loser. It will not go well. But she's going to throw in. And so as we sit there and we're thrown back and forth and her kind of overestimating everything, when we meet Norman and things are very weird about him, we're like, oh, she's imagining it again, right? Right. So they've disarmed us with these other more aggressive men. Right. And now this kind of quaint little bird guy walks in and we we bring it back. We're like, all right, it's cool. It's cool. But then this was the part that I forgot that she said she was going to take the money back. Oh, yeah. Wow. Me too. Isn't that insane? Because they because to me, it's a classic. I used to be a writer on a TV show called Thousand Ways to Die. Right. And one of our rules was you can only kill. Uh, flawed or kind of bad people, right? Uh, the producer, I think, said it best is you can't, no one wants to watch a soccer mom who's really good. She picked up the groceries, did the laundry, you know, picking up the third kid from practice like a perfect mom, and then a fire hydrant, you know, rockets through her face and kills her in her minivan. Right. Right? Like, that's not something, people are like, oh, that sucks. But then if you're like, oh, this guy, you know, is a cheater and blah, blah, like, then you can kill him away, right? And I and I saw it as oh Hitchcock's setting her up right she she likes this loser man they're in a prostitute motel she's a thief she's lying about her name blah 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 and then we see that through like her conversation with Norman she has this total what the fuck am I doing man only right. fifteen miles away from where she was going she has the moment yeah. that man you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna do better man and that that hit me so hard this time. Because I always remembered, oh, she was a criminal that got trapped, right? The way I replay Psycho in my mind is it starts off as kind of a crime thriller. And then when it turns into a horror movie, as you imagine, oh, here's a, a normal person who made a mistake, right? They were tempted by sin and they made a mistake, right? Right. And now they're on the run from that, right? We can all relate to that. I think, you know, if someone placed a million dollars in my hand and said, go on a five block walk and we'll trust you. Right. Who knows? I probably would try to get away too. But then when it turns into a horror movie is, oh, you're like a normal person dealing with a normal person crime. Here is a predator, like a full on rattlesnake. You have walked in its path. And so I always remember they set it up as a bad criminal. It's okay that she died because she was a bad person. I forgot that she was going to go back. Why do you think he made that choice? I mean, to me, I feel like that's that's what makes – that's what makes Marion Crane's death sympathetic because at this point you're right. Like think about it the way like we're like, well, she's a fucking idiot anyway. She's about to go hang out with the Sam Loomis who apparently has a dick made of gold and just like live her life with 350. I mean, it couldn't be gold. He has no gold. obviously. <laughs> yeah. With like 40 K just, just to break even, she's going to steal 40 K. Yeah. Like they're not even going to run, like make off with a bunch of loot. 
And he'll still owe alimony to his other wife who's moved to another country. So there's that. And you're like, oh, fuck, that like sucks. Like, she's just kind of a terrible person. She's just like clearly just blinded by the dick. You're like, no, no, no. The reason she does the used car deal right in front of the cop. You're like, right. she's like, bad at this. She's, she's really she's, bad at this. She's also a really bad criminal. So like, it's yeah. partly that. But I think the reason you give her the misgivings is so that we can all like this is like this is the perfect tension build, by the way, is because so we can all root for her to get the fuck out of Bates Motel. Like, that's like the most important part about the entire thing is not really to make her sympathetic, but to make sure that we're all like super tense because Think about it. She has that misgiving and then she goes and has like a weird, she goes and has this super weird dinner with the, with Norman. Then Norman <laughs> literally jerks off through the peephole watching her undress. And See, the, sh- the shame my, is my so great. Is, no one would have that tension until he looks in the peephole. And no. even then, do you really think people thought what was coming next? No, but that's I can't like the remember, most important like, how much part trailers is... would have been prevalent back then for some. But, no, so this is but this was like the trailer, though, was really imp- like, you remember the I, I don't know if you ever read anything about like the marketing for this movie was so specific, like uh, Anthony Perkins and Janet Lee weren't allowed to do any of the actual marketing. Right. They didn't do right. any of that shit. And then on top of that, this was one of the only movies that came out in the time period where there was literally a no late admission policy. If you let people in the movie after the movie started, you like you like they like yanked the movie from your theater. <laughs> oh, I'm a huge fan of that. <laughs> huge fan of huge right. fan of iron fisted theater owners. Which is why this Assuming is Griffey's favorite owners, movie of all time over. because of its yeah. late Jesus theater Christ. policy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, but I mean I think that's important though, because what I was struck by is there are so many moments that if you don't know what's coming, right. and again, this is one of those movies. Like I think this and The Exorcist, and there are movies that are so shockingly ahead of their times mm-hmm. that we cannot possibly glean from them what audiences did before it was oversaturated, right? right. And this is definitely one of those movies. Totally. But I was struck, like, even when she's signing her name, right, there's so many little moments. Norman reaches for room three. Pulls his hand back and grabs key one, right? He's made the fucking choice. He knows. Uh, when she leaves the creepy dinner, he looks at the book to make sure her name's wrong and smirks. <laughs> like, now she's a trash person and he can do whatever, right? Right. And obviously, he's a little bit of a creep, right? Anyone who's into taxidermy, not a great sign, right? A bit of a I red mean, flag. That's a fucking red flag right there. And then when he literally glares through the peephole, it's like, well, all right, he's a huge creep. Got it. Thanks. But by the time he does the peephole, right? Now we're like, oh, something's amiss, and yeah. he's a pervert. Right. Okay, so he get he's getting a free nudie show, right? But that's, up to that point, that's a it's terrible just act like a free commits. show. You're like, what a creep. Like, that's where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you piece of shit. Look at what you're doing. But I don't feel this dangerous moment right and what they do because they had those great moments right where you know norman is doing the you know we all go a little crazy sometimes and he's kind of talking about his hatred for his mom and she's you know why don't you put her somewhere he's like an institution and you can tell that this hit a nerve right he's going ape shit and you're like but they pull it back and this is where i i love anthony perkins because he his norman character while being the biggest facade of any of the five characters we discuss, is also probably the sturdiest. Oh, yeah. Does that make sense? Norman well, is no. the biggest fallacy of any of the five murder fronts that we see. 
Norman but Bates. But he's really sturdy. He he really because this is the thing. How many of these other killers are able to sit down and have that kind of long, you know, understanding conversation? He was able to talk her into right. let's eat. Oh, I don't want to eat in your room because that's too sexual, right? He'll lose it. Bring her in, have a chat, bring it back. It's well, like, actually, he's not bad at engaging with the outside world. No, not at all. Look, it's like from the outset, Norman is a normal Norman Bates, the character, like that version yeah. of Norman Bates, other than being obviously a masturbating creep, is fairly normal. <laughs> Like, he didn't even masturbate. He just looked. Right. I mean, it's implied Still, that he, jer- it's implied he jerked not, off. Again, this is another great off, thing. I of don't like, want the audience to be like, Griffey came out as pro peep show. Right. No. I'm not. Like, That's listen, a bad he, But like as a character, a Norman Bates, by and large, is a normal, average American person. Right. Short of the peep show thing. Not cool. But like at the same time, he's basically just, you know, doing what everyone else does, which is, you know, porno. Like, you know, he just... Found it in real life. Just Big like difference. her, he's taken a little off the top of life. You know what I mean? He's skimming the cream. <laughs> she takes 40 grand and decides to hide it in a newspaper. Never mind. We won't talk about how bad she is at crime, right? Yeah. But Terrible this at moment, crime. Right? There, there are two moments in this sequence before the famous shower scene that I, I thought were very interesting. One is there's no possible way that Janet Lee hears them arguing all the way up at the house. Norman's performative acting, right? Right. Because it struck me is she's hearing it and it has the same kind of ethereal tone as the argument she's hearing in her head as she's driving away. Right. And so I was like, oh, fuck. Did she hear a lot of that? Is she making some of that up herself? Is Janet Lee part of this delusion at the start of it, right? I thought that was very strange. If you guys watch it, go back and rewatch that scene. There's no fucking possible human way. She hears crystal clear that argument while he's making sandwiches in the kitchen. Right. Right about, she's a dirty whore, Norman. A whore, Norman. Right? Best impression (laughs) ever. I love it, right? It was so good. But when he comes down, right, the second fascinating moment is the way they walk Norman all the way into the kitchen, which is way in the fucking back of the house. And he sits at the chair with his glass of milk like a defeated child. Yep. Right? And he's kind of blocked in by these big walls and this big door frame, right? Hitchcock is trying to tell us he's as far away from what's coming next as possible. Yeah. Well, and and then in those two scenes together, give it this entirely surreal feeling before the shower scene hits. Right. And I mean, I think that's an important thing, too, is like the geography of the scene. And think about it in 1960. Like, again, we watch these kinds of movies all the time because of this kind of movie. So. In 1960, when you're like a big fan of like the horror movies that have come out, like in thrillers that have come out since before then, this is the only kind of director who makes these kinds of movies. So you have no idea what's coming. And the geography of the Bates Motel versus the house is like, oh, wow, okay, that makes total sense for what's about to come. Like, you wouldn't think anything. We literally imagine Norman walking all the way up that hill and all the way to the back of the house. Like, that's it. You that's it. Like it makes total fucking sense. You're like, I mean, I I wouldn't have put it past him. Like, okay, cool, got it. And then, yeah. And even though, because this it's the exact opposite. Like you're saying, the geography of the shot is the exact opposite of what our brain is trying to tell us. Which is when Norman Bates leans forward. Right. There's a scene when they're having dinner. He leans way up close to the camera, and so now the shared dead space in front of him is gone. 
Right. And he's all the way at the front of the camera, right? And he uh, he's leaning in. Now his face looks like the other threatening men in her life that she's seen. But we still don't take it because he slides back, right? And then we see him walk far. You know, he does the, oh, we're all caught in traps. A boy's best friend is his mother. You should be like, red fucking flag, red fucking flag. <laughs> but we don't. And this is, I really honestly would like to know. What do you think the percentage of people that knew it was Norman Bates in that outfit when that movie hit, right? Like, not read the book or whatever. Do you think that people of the time, that Hitchcock did a good enough job of fooling people? Hadn't read the book? by the time I'd seen it for the first time, I already knew the twist. Right. Me too. Um, No, I don't think anyone knew. I think, other than people that obviously read the book, I don't think people, because here's why. And this is like, this is again, because we live in this time and we watched movies at this time. Like, think about it. We've, the 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 veil has been pulled so far back on like movie making particularly for us because not only did we go to film school we spent a lot of time like learning techniques and that kind of stuff like we know how this kind of shit would be made like the general viewer though i think of someone like my parents like my parents are people who go to the movies to be entertained my mother would probably not have picked up that that was norman bates in his mother's dress and with a wig on that's just not a thing and it's because Everything happens like it's because the editing of the shower scene, the editing of the scene is the so shower important. scene. God damn it. I always forget to because it's pretty fast, but there's like an, an it's such a vast scene. Really? It's right? three you're minutes. Like, it's three minutes long and it has 50 cuts. But you're like in the pantheon of film history. How can this not be like a top 20 best scene in movie history? Oh, it is. It has to be top five. This is one of the most like, important scenes back, in filmmaking. Oh, but not only it's it's this perfect every single technique is so fucking brilliantly executed, right? The fast cutting, the silhouette, the shadowy stranger, uh, you know, the slow turn on the eye. Like at the end, he keeps the shower audio going as we do a slow still frame spin. Right? Like why why is that a still frame and not really her and just pan out? Right. And it's it's just detaching us from this reality, right? The watching the blood drain down with the water, right? Le- her life leaving her. I was just shot. It's such a vicious, slow, brutal fucking yeah. murder. I mean, not only that. reaching out to the camera. Not oh only God. is it it's- such a, it's brutal, <laughs> that once do you see penetration of flesh. That's, yeah. that's like the real, like, that's the real trick of this entire scene is, not a single and that moment. fucking music. It's like the perfect that the music, oh. the the angles, like the real that, the the real yeah. fear and terror is simply that you never actually see what she, what he did to her. You just assume you see a knife, right. you see a body, you see a shower, you see blood. So your brain does all the work that fifty cuts doesn't have to, which is simply says, "Man, he stabbed right. the shit out of her." But you feel like you hear like. Oh yeah, totally. Right, like ten of those. Because and of then the music. every time that violin shrieks, it's like another cut. It's amazing. <laughs> it's like your brain can feel the pain of something stabbing into you because of that fucking music. And that that is what I love is you feel like you saw everything in a visceral, carnal manner, but you didn't. You absolutely didn't. Right? Oh man, I I'm always I'm I'm sure there's nothing we can say that has I mean that's like Zapruder film level broken down I'm sure, right? But I was just I was stunned every time I see that scene I forget it's like that, yeah. and the the symphony scene in the Albert Hall and the man who knew too much. Yep, 
Right? Like, oh, those are like the Hitchcock scenes. I just, I'm blown away by when I re-see them again. Yeah. But this one is really, like, all-time stunning. I will say, though, there's definitely a clue that it was Norman. And I don't know, again, if many people would have picked it up at the time without having the foreknowledge, right? I don't think I did either, obviously. But uh, when Norman's cleaning up, right, I was struck by that, too, is how the scene of Norman cleaning up after what his mom did is equally as scary to me as the act of killing. Oh, yeah. Because now it's just this, it's insane to me, like, just watching him clean in a suit and not sweating, how easily we can just disappear. How easily a crime and a human being can just be gone from the right. world. And it's so fucking scary to me. I never was really scared by that scene before. I think once you get older and you have a house and you have kids that make messes everywhere and you clean, right. you're like, oh, God, I'm sweating all the time because I'm cleaning up. You watch him just effortlessly clean away a human being's entire life. It's... And it's fucking terrifying. But Norman stands up and his hands are covered in blood. And he coolly washes it away, right? Norman's hands literally covered in blood. And we don't pick up that, that he's the murderer yet. Well, no, we wouldn't because he's. But cleaning. I wonder he, if that was Hitchcock's wink. Gotcha, bitch. No, I mean, he's cleaning up the scene of the crime. It very well could be, but he's cleaning up the scene of the crime anyway. So you wouldn't you wouldn't think twice about it. I think that was Hitchcock's. I fucking told you and you didn't get it because I'm that good. Maybe. I mean, it obviously I mean, I'll get my obviously board out and contact. <laughs> I mean, obviously it is because it's the fucking because, you know, it's the you know, he did it, but. You don't have to it's put okay. that out on French Street simply because you don't like that's not part of the it's narrative fine. at that moment. It's fine. I'm just glad that you said I am right. That's all I was getting for that. <laughs> this isn't even a thing. This isn't even a good thing to be right about. <laughs> oh, it's the best thing to be. Everything's the best thing to be right about. Oh no, I'm God. just kidding. Now I'm arguing with you like you're my wife. <laughs> now what's great is. But what if this is. So this scene happens. He fucking buries the car and the buries the car in the swamp in the back and literally throws away the inciting incident of 40k like it's right. nothing. so here's the important thing this forty thousand dollars is the greatest red herring like you said of all time yeah. because it is completely innocuous nothing else comes of it yeah. no one ever brings this shit back up it simply goes away nothing in ever a weird way back. it doesn't go all the way right like it is the, her and the money together are the great rate it'd be like if scream had done the drew barrymore scene for 30 minutes right, right. like it's a great opening like a quick boom, boom boom we're in this is 30 fucking minutes right of this one and a half hour movie right and what is crazy the thing i love about the money the way it continues to kind of haunt the story is that even until the very end, right? Like her sister and her loser boyfriend <laughs> are convinced that Norman had to do it because he wants to sell his home and his hotel and flee. Right. And that that's kind of the cool, not only is she kind of a specter for the rest of the movie, but the money is, is because none of these people can fathom that Norman Bates right. just killed her because he has a psychological right. problem. Well, you know what? Okay. They cannot fathom that it was not out of greed that he murdered right. her, but some kind of well, weird sexual pleasure. Like, I take it back. Like, really, Arbogast is hired technically because that's the that's his, like, motivation is getting the money back because he's technically hired because right. he's a private investigator. He's supposed to go find her. That is all well and good. But it becomes so inconsequential so quickly inconsequential. that there's $40,000 missing. It's nonsense for, like, most of the rest of the movie. Yeah. And it almost makes you mad because every time someone starts questioning Norman, 
And every time he gets an answer wrong, where he's like, oh, I, for, I forgot. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> you know, that kind of Norman Bates routine he's doing. You're like, he's a murderer. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's what I'm saying. But again, they still didn't know he was the murderer. No. Anthony Perkins is able to believably play the all shucks Gomer pile. Maybe he is covering his mom's tracks. Right. It's it's pretty. I mean, I would love to know people who are un uh familiar with the material how many of them get to the end and are like oh fuck i wonder i'm gonna find someone who hadn't seen it before they're, they're out yeah there. but that's what i mean it's so built into our society and our pop culture people know that norman bates dressed as his mother you know andrea it's, andrea a has a lot of my friends shelf. my kids already know who Norman Bates is yeah. wearing his mom's clothes. You know, Andrea has a lot of friends who haven't seen movies like this. I think I could probably find one of them. I, could I would be up. fascinated, right? But, so, but that's like, so. But again, it, it's fine because that's what Hitchcock did in this one that's brilliant. Right. Is this is the movie where we have so much more information oh, yeah. than everyone else. We and know I mean, exactly what's happening. How We're often just is watching it, the folly of this. Right. And like, how often is it that we, as the audience really, especially to this point in 1960, how often was it that we had all the information before the rest of these guys did? Yeah. Like exactly us right. to be. So like, this is the best part too, about this movie. And this is really kind of where it becomes Norman Bates's point of view is it removes us completely. And like, we really truly become Norman Bates's like, we're Norman Bates because we don't know, like conceivably we don't know Norman, Norman Bates as his mother as well yet. So we're removed from being Vivian. We're removed from being Janet Lee. And now we are Norman Bates hoping that he can cover up whatever's happened, but he doesn't, yeah, he, he knows about like, that's like the crazy thing about this movie is like the shifting God's eye throughout this whole thing. Yeah. And the shift is so great that you're like, oh, my God, man, I don't know what's going to happen. And as soon as he starts, like, fumbling and doing that kind of thing, to me, you wind up being like, people have got to be wise to this. And, like, Arbogast does a really good job of, like, pretending he's not. Obviously, he totally is at some point. But, by, right. which, by the way, he has my all-time – one of my, like, top five favorite deaths in a movie. This is, like – Right. Well, that's I, what I was going to ask you, too. I adore who's, this. Whose point of view is that murder? Whose point of view is that murder uh, from? Of Arbogast? It's one of the famous shots, right? Where there's that insane depth of field where everything's super dreamlike in the background. Uh-huh. Because it, it goes super art film, right? Like, that's like a classic art film motif. Right. Is well, it's soft like that. Focus, and they, like, that. Soft focus and they spin him around and shit. But you don't see... All you see right. is, the like, the blood splatter on his face. Right. But you see something happens, right? He has blood on his face. And he's kind of... He looks like he's floating. But on the ground, we hear, we hear his feet like, you know, scattering, scattering, trying, skittering, trying to. So there's the frenetic sound of his feet and the floating down, right? And we're way up high in the room, right? So we see Norman dresses his mom come running out, and I was like, whose point of view is that? Is that Norman's or the mother's in that moment? Oh, I think that's Norman's, man. Because I I wonder. Because one of the things I had to wonder in the film by the end is if the Norman Bates persona had already been disintegrated by the time we're watching the film. Yeah. Because it's kind of one of the tricks at the end where it's, I keep saying tricks like everything's a fucking trick. It's not a trick. But by the end of the film, 
the psychologist says in any time someone has a massive trauma like this and there's two battling personalities, one will inevitably win out and Norman lost. He's gone. Right. Well, I think you could make the argument that maybe he was a long time ago and well, yeah. Norma was running the show anyway. Oh, that's for sure. Like part of it. Like, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's I don't I mean, well, I'm I, saying in the movie, they still play it that there is this split. Right, like, because the scene well, that struck me is like there probably was still a Norman. I'm probably wrong. Now that I'm thinking back, is <laughs> the scene when he finds Jennifer Lee's body, he actually like hits the wall and is like, <gasps> before he goes into Stone Cold Cleanup Man. Right, and you have to ask yourself, who is he acting for in that moment? We're the only people that can take in that gesture. Right, right. He's not doing that for himself unless he truly does not remembered the scene well to me i mean if i'm being honest like i think that's like the last time he sees that's the last time we actually see norman that might be it that might be it hint at right that there were possibly two other people he killed two missing girls yeah like i think maybe norman's already done this i think more than likely that's the last time we see norman bates and then for the rest of the movie it's every time we see norman bates it's his mother doing possibly possibly man. but that that shot of arbogast getting like stabbed and then falling down the stairs is totally his mother's point of view because like in my like between in my estimation between the music and again like you have that great that eh, 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 that whole thing in the estimation because it's so dreamlike almost to me that's norman bates's mom because simply that's simply norman bates's mother because she's almost enjoying it like it's the fear that she's inflicting on the audience with Arbogast's face and with him falling down the stairs that makes it so tense. I feel like that's absolutely someone who's marveling at his kill. You know what I mean? Riddle me this, though. Could it be Norman's point of view? One, because it is very dreamlike, right? So it feels unreal. So maybe this is Norman actually witnessing the murder and because it's not a young woman that his mom would be jealous of, it's a man. Right? So maybe this is the moment where Norman isn't all the way switched over as he commits the murder. And that's why it's so dreamlike. Okay, I could give you that. Yeah. Because Norman's mom kills women, right? So in the frenzy killing of the mom, or like Janet Lee, right? So much more ferocious. She kind of. And also, that's the weird thing. It looks like she's not moving except for that arm, right? This one is a little different. It's a quicker, ha Right. Like, so maybe this is, like, the unswitched over all the way, right? Like, the train's rushing, and we don't know which side the little thing's going to flip to. It's just stuck. They do that a lot. Uh, you know, maybe that that's why it was Norman's point of view. And then maybe, like you're saying, that's when Norman's fully destroyed. Because the next time we see him, if I remember right, are people calling his name, and he's standing there cold as hell at the swamp just looking back yeah. you know and now he like he looks fully menacing in that moment before right. he comes back with his howdy doody routine right <laughs> uh i mean you know i think you could see it either way personally i mean i think it depends on how you want to watch the movie uh yeah more than anything um yeah it was just such a it's and that's one of those things when you see something like that you're like what a choice and you know there's a very specific reason things that was not just Hitchcock on the day being like, that might look kick ass. No. <laughs> right. So so I'm always like, what what is the inference I'm supposed to make? Right. And it could be because Norma, it, it depends on who you think the dominant personality is at the time, I think. Right. 
Because well, whoever's I mean, dominant, I would assume it was the other person's point of view. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, it could just be, again, if you think that the last time we saw Norman Bates was when he saw Janet Lee's body, then yeah, probably it, it could very easily be Norman's mother. Or it could just be this back and forth thing before he gets caught at the end, finally. Mm. Um, the the reveal at the end, though, like, because one, I, I think Sam and the, or um, is it, is the Sam Loomis go after? Is it Sam and Lila end up being um, the like the yeah, cohort? So they they go to the hotel and pretend that they're a married yeah, couple. She that's what he is. distracts Norman and essentially is like, I'm gonna you know fucking berate this guy about. He's still berating him about the money. Right. He cannot fathom who he's in a room with, which becomes scary. And I mean that ratches up the tension right away. He's like, dude, he doesn't know about the money. He's going to kill. Right. And you're just like, oh my god. And she sneaks up to the house, right? And that's where she's looking around. She sees the creepy little kid's room that we are, I guess, suggested that Norman still sleeps in. <laughs> right? And then, yeah, so as Norman knocks that dude out and runs up to the house, that's when uh, he follows, right? Right. I love that. I, and, I mean, like, everything is so well-paced and so well-cut up to that point where she finally, like, my, my, might be one of my all-time favorite, like, reveals. Like, what a great turnaround. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Just oh the my dead, god! But, but when, but not only the the extra cool thing they do is when they hit the light, so it's kind of this light cutting around. Because again, it it's hard to tell because that to me light is used in film a lot, right? Whatever is the most in the light, that is reality, and everything outside of that can become like a dangerous unknown, right? Right. And in this scene, they start the lights flicking around, and you don't really know. And as Norman hits the door, dressed in his mom's clothes and the wig. And he has this hideous, it's so awesome. enormous grin on his face. Yeah. Right? It's almost orgasmic to him at that point. And again, it's it's kind yeah. of violating what he had said, which it, or the psychologist tells us at least, that Norman's mom sees other women and uh, he assumes she must be jealous because he was jealous. Right? So this doesn't follow the conventional path again. It's this orgasmic grin. And then as the guy catches him, right, Loomis, and he knows he can't do it, you see him just melt into this wretch. Oh, it's so great. And it, oh, and they cut back to the the mummified mother. It's like, what Ugh. the fuck? But again, it's one of those scenes that became so iconic that I don't know how people don't know about it, you know, before uh, they see it now. And it's really a shame. It's... Uh, and then, yeah, we talked about a lot of people don't love the ending, I don't know how you nail this movie home without that ending. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, again, like people don't people bitch about the ending because we live in a world where we don't have those. We don't have those barriers anymore. Like, yeah, there's been so many fucking movies about psychiatrists. There's been so many movies about psychotic serial killers. Like there's nothing about that thing that's curious anymore. But in 1960, that was not something we were focused on. So like that audience, all the men that took their wives to see that movie are like, He's wearing a dress. Yeah. <laughs> They're oh, yeah, probably absolutely. more upset about that than the murders. There are a bunch they of guys won't... in very stuffy suits. And then I was like, oh, my God, it's a transvestite. How dare they? How dare it. they? The advertisement was right. This is psychotic. <laughs> I hate it. Right? <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's one of those weird. It feels strange now. But that feels like it's only because it, there's a version of this movie, like a modern version, I think. Right. Where you just cut out the psychiatrist. And you just go to the jail cell. Sure. Right? And you let Marion Crane's sister talk to Norman. 
and learn. And then you do this mirror shot, right, where just like Norman or Marion talked to the facade of Norman. Right. Now you have her sister talking to the mother, right? Right. And, uh, you know, I think that's probably how you would do it nowadays, right? Yeah. You know, it's kind of that primal fear ending where it's just like, because you could say at the end of that, it's just Edward Norton talking you through everything that we just saw. But it works really well. It's one of the all-time great Hollywood endings. So I don't I don't give this movie any beef at the end because what I like at the end is that you still see there is a psychological battle happening. Right. Wherein the mother is throwing her own son under the bus, right, while inhabiting the husk that was her son. And you almost get the feeling that she is going to recreate a specter branch that is Norman that will haunt her. I think right? Because she's too. doing that. They thought I killed him. I would never. Oh. And she's like talking herself up. And you see that hideous moment when she's kind of laying this lie on that we imagine's the lie. Yeah. And then Norman does the fucking smile, right? That sly fucking smile. And it ends on a great line, right? She's like, they'll say she wouldn't even hurt a fly. It's just. And it's. Oh. I mean, wow, this is the thing. Amazing. I never understand people who don't like that part. Like, again, like, yeah. I don't under. It, first off, it doesn't matter how, like, smart you are. It, it takes. There's no trouble explaining someone's alternate personality being their mother. There's another problem, all yeah. right? See, even my kid yeah. didn't like it. Um, but, like, <laughs> like, there's never a problem with that to me because, look, no one's that smart, all right? Just, that's just ridiculous. But, but um, not only. I think it adds a really it nice does. flavor. It's a really nice. Because, like, again, it's. It's a whole room of people, and what I like about it is they still keep talking about the mother and, uh, you know, the money, all these other things. They still cannot wrap their mind around the deviant yeah. depths that Norman Bates occupies. It's They're so still talking about who got the money. When they say that at the end, it's like, oh, okay, so this scene still has a lot of value to me because there's one guy, and his whole job is, like, understanding these gray areas, and he's like, Guys, it's not about the money. The swamp got the money. Right? Yeah. And so we're doing that where he's trying to tell these people in the room and the audience, again, you guys are focused on the crime of the money, the crime of, oh, he poisoned his mother and this other guy, right? right? Because, and again, that's kind of a crime of passion thing that we can understand, right? Right. Not acceptable, but, you know, you get crime of passion, right? What's happening the moment that Marion Crane checks in is this, again, you can... There's evil and things we think are wrong and sins and there's being a cheater, you know, stealing money, whatever. There is pure evil in this world that is just lurking. Right. And it could be the unassuming mousy bird like man that you just met. Right. Right. right as you're about to turn good. And that's what becomes scary about Norman is Norman again, because we learned that he is probably he exists less than the other mask of the killers right but norman is really good at fitting into society yeah the sheriff doesn't even want to bother him because he knows he's a good guy he's just a guy around town he chats everyone up pretty effortlessly right right which becomes scary when you realize how thin it is and that final scene in the cell to me brings it back if you don't get that scene maybe i would be upset at the ending yeah i think but the, to me, like again the, it shows an unnatural psych like not swatting a fly yeah because you think that'll the, trick people into thinking you're good and the mom's voice and the smile that's so unnatural and sadistic 
that it works. It puts me right back where I need to be at the, the end. The final look into the camera is so important. Like, yeah, you could cut out the like psycho, like the psych, psycho, psychoanalytics, but it gives you a nice buffer before you get into that beat. And that beat is so important. And that's what closes out the movie. You're like, holy shit. This is not the end at all. Like, he's not like he like got caught and he's snapping out of there, yeah. which I think is like, think about and it. Not just because this movie got mad sequels. <laughs> yeah. Like in 1960, it's not because he was just like, oh yeah, of course. Oh my God, my poor brain. I'm a deviant. <laughs> uh, like, that's not what this movie's yeah. about. It's literally just about a guy who's broken inside. Yeah. So well, it's also about the fact of they didn't defeat him. Right. You don't defeat evil. There's still evil out there lurking. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That becomes truly terrifying in this movie. It was. uh, Oh, God, dude, I fucking love this movie so much. It's it it really is. And that's what I was struck by how fucking brilliant this movie is and how often I forget that it's brilliant. And that that to me is. I, I don't know why, because, again, I, I go check in with Rear Window. I go check in with Frenzy's one I really like, Rope. There are a couple of Hitchcock flicks that re- – The Man Who Knew Too Much, right? Mm-hmm. I really like a couple of these Hitchcock flicks, and I feel like I check in with those more often. I don't know why. Psycho is just like I, – and I think that's the weird thing, too, is this is the movie that kind of went through the threshold and almost gave us an entire new genre. Right. There had been Mad Men. There had been Killers. But this is the movie, I, I think after Psycho is when people are, oh, I want to make that fucking movie. Like, the next movie we'll be discussing this week is Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. And again, I think movies like that directly come from Psycho, right? They all, every yeah. movie after Psycho is a branch off of that tree, right? And we talked about Fritz Lang made M in the 30s. Mm-hmm. But you didn't see an enormous amount of serial killer, child murderer, psychosis films that are really popular right. between those two movies. Psycho became such a smash hit and a cultural phenomenon that I think it then gave us all of these amazing fucking Batman movies that we now enjoy so often. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's the most important thing about Psycho's legacy is that it sort of unlocked this. It unlocked this thing in our brains that I didn't think we all had that. I don't think any of like the American psychosis didn't know it had there. So as soon as you unlock it, it just unleashed this torrent of these kinds of movies. And not only these kinds of movies, but these kinds of movies being completely acceptable. Because, I mean, think about it. This movie made in like the 40s gets, I mean, if this movie was made in the 40s, this is a B movie. And this thing got buried. This movie becomes like one of those like, oh, did you ever see this? It's really kind of a classic, (laughs) you know? I would again, be fascinated to look at like what were the other great serial killer madman movies between those two that I just have not found. There's always weirder, yeah, more boundary pushing movies than you remember. But I think inarguably this one and its enormous success and popularity are what because this is it's also one of those movies too that because it became so popular, I would imagine a huge percentage of the population this is their first time of saying, "Oh my." God. God, my fucking neighbor could be Norman Bates. You know what I mean? Like every normal person you meet, they do a great job of putting the terror into every man, right? A really normal, unassuming guy. And again, we talked about there are a lot of movies that like that's why Halloween famously so scary because it was every normal suburban neighborhood, right? 
This wasn't a lake. Right. This wasn't your nightmares. Uh, this was in your house and your kids being slaughtered, right? And I think that's what Psycho did for everyone everywhere, right? Like once you see – because even M, you're like, it's hard to imagine there's a Peter Laurie everywhere, right? Like, right. Really fucking scary guy, right? You really you have see, to uh, hope there's not even, a Peter Laurie everywhere. Yeah, and even Peeping Tom, you're like, he's not nearly as good, right, as like holding it all together. Like, you could tell pretty quick, like, oh, something's off with this guy. Right. Norman Bates, right, while being a very thin facade, is a really good shield, man. And it makes him very fucking scary. It does. Uh, that's what I was struck by, man. It's still thrilling. It's still really fucking scary all these years later. Uh, and I think, yeah, that's Hitchcock's absolute mastery of technique. And Anthony Perkins is phenomenal in this movie. It's that. It's just, it's the best, man. It's the fucking best, man. And I will try my best to not forget that moving forward. All right, guys, that's Psycho. I hope you loved it as much as we did. Uh, I hope you went back and rewatched it. As always, guys, please leave us ratings and review. Follow us on YouTube, Nerd Alchemist, plural with an S at the end, and find us on any social media and tell us uh, what you thought of Psycho, other Mad Men movies, or any movie in general you would like to, uh, us to talk about. We would love to do that. All right, up next, guys, this is Tuesday. On Thursday, we're going to be dropping Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Um, it's disturbing if you haven't watched it. Uh, it's it's a tough viewing. It has not. It never gets softer with age. It's really it's not fucking, for the faint of heart, man. It really yeah, isn't. And I don't. What I think we're going to talk a lot about is how powerful the technique is in that movie. It's not just some trashy smut like we're going to take advantage of just disturbing imagery. They really do a lot of amazing storytelling yeah. in Henry. And I can't wait to talk about it. So uh, we have that. And then the vanishing or Spurlos. I think it's called Spurlos. And it's native tongue. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, actually, that guy, now that I think about it, the killer from that movie is probably the best facade of all. Because that guy just has, like, mad jobs and stuff. Uh, <laughs> but those are our last two Mad Men of the month. We will also, this month, be doing The Pod is Held Captive. Uh, got a lot of good choices for you. Some other cool stuff coming up. And as always, tell us what you want to hear. For The Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino.